When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Liz, how are you feeling? Because I feel Not. like shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have a, as bad of a time as I think you did. Um, well, we you got. Do? We got Chili's takeout and then ate it in the park. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today. Yesterday. Yesterday. And okay. I still feel like sh- absolute dog shit. Got it. <laughs> I I recently there's a pizza place called Polito's out here in Stevens Point and and a large one named Paul. I ordered from there and I'm like I'll get two pizzas so we've got a little bit left over. Um, you know, uh, so they come and these pizzas are 20 inches. Uh, tall, so enormous. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. No, we're not in Chicago, so they're not 20 inches tall, Johnny. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're like truly enormous. I've been eating through them for like the past three days. I'm going to have a just, little bit just more. Just eating a hole through tomorrow. the middle of that big tall pizza. Yeah. They trap you inside the pizza and you have to eat your way out. That's, they call that Wisconsin style. Uh, also, I think my favorite thing when we are together is making Tyler mad. Like when I make Tyler <laughs> mad, it's so fucking funny. You make everyone mad. That's just uh, clear. Yeah, I'm over. I'm over here, like Again. invested in this pizza story, and it's like Johnny's doing bits. Hey, and they're great bits. They're great bits. All right, no one's denying the quality of the bit. <laughs> And, and yeah, the audience, the audience, like there's praise for Johnny, but they frame all that <laughs> praise through anger. Right, that is, right. That is um, such a great, such a great legacy to leave is um, <laughs> begrudging <laughs> praise. I just have this this nagging feeling and I I can't help but feel well I can't help but feel bad that I was the one to say it not one of you because it wasn't just my idea but I got all the blame I got the bad haircut I do feel bad that you had to take it all on yourself but not that bad <laughs> well because the person who is really truly responsible is no longer with us. Yeah, and I don't know how I became second in command. Well, well you're quite. I mean, are. yeah. Also, where's the heart now? 
Oh, the captain's had it for a long time. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. For and sure. I, f- the captain gave it back to you. Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah, you have it. That's that's how the captain was. When 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 you felt your life force draining away, the, the captain took it through the heart. You're right. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, then we can take that back. <laughs> uh, well, he. Gave it back to me. And uh, Travis pulls out the heart. And there, there's a, probably a rock or two in there, too. Pocket really, rocks. Pocket. <laughs> really do have pocket rocks, huh? Well, I wasn't sure what the ones for the fire would look like, so I brought a few different ones. And so you let him do that while you had the heart? Well, when a large, large, large man grabs you by the hair, it's often hard to think on your feet, especially when he's lifted you off of the ground and your feet are no longer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, I don't know that it would work anymore. And even if it did, I don't know that I would want to do it. It was all fun and games when he was just a corpse. Then it was a hoot. We all had a good time every now and then. He would wink. It was creepy. It was fun. You know, we're having a ball. But now, when he's doing things on his own, often speaking to other people, (laughs) that's disconcerting, to say the least. I think we can all agree that Captain Oromar Vale was never just a corpse. Yeah... I think that's probably something that we that was... wanted it to be true, but all the all the weird distant Dref looks. Perhaps Dreff knew that. Mm. Perhaps there was something that Dreff wasn't telling us, or something he didn't know about the magic that he was casting. But I believe it was never just a body. Mm. If only there was. Oh, someone hit something very soft. <laughs> Damn it, did that not make a loud enough noise? No, it didn't. Not even close. <laughs> you know, you could download like an MP3 of a door knocking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like the case, you could probably plug that in. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Max Library, I think. There's a gentle knock at the door. <laughs> uh, hey, Jonet walks over. Opens the. Is there any kind of people, or does he have to open it fully? That's interesting. Do you think Dref had a, a peephole to look out of? Yes, I think he had a weird, like a, a telescope, but that was like on one side of the room that kind yes. of like went across the room, like a <laughs> like a Susian. Yes. 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 yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So he could like, like he would like take his glasses off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so silly. And th- th- this way, I don't t- t- have to open the door to see who's out there. <laughs> yeah, we understand how a telescope works and how a peephole works. We get it. Uh, so then, John, and I don't John, know why you're telling us this on this <laughs> island. We've got more pressing issues. <laughs> <laughs> can you yeah. can you bring back yeah. the captain or not? <laughs> Gable's off in the distance fighting ten people. 
well, we 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 peer through the the susoscope. Uh, through the susoscope, you can see Margaret is standing outside the door. Oh, it's Margaret. Let her in. Does she look mad? Does she look mad? Does she look mad? Uh, uh, Jonna looks back at the susoscope. The susoscope distorts the person on the other side like a lot. Like <laughs> even the most minute shift radically changes their face. It's impossible to, to tell. Uh, she doesn't look mad, but she looks very tall. <laughs> Ooh. Or maybe she gets That's tall a, when I, she gets angry. Mm. Oh, no. Let her in. I want to see. <laughs> Open the door. Well, well, well. If it isn't the two least popular people on the ship and Jonnet. That's me. She's not. How do we find ourselves this evening? Oh, in a bad way. Look at me. I know. I really, really did a number on you. And, you know, if you're going to lose an asset, your hair is the one that I would pick last, probably. What would you pick first? But I don't know fingers. your whole thing. <laughs> but, dear, I wouldn't be too concerned. Nerves are raw, but I think there's a chance that they'll heal. And at the end of the day, they're angry at you. And people get angry with each other all the time. I do get a sense that for you, dear, she says, turning to Gable, there is a hint of fear in the air. For some of them, at least. I kind of figured I wouldn't get off easy introducing cosmic horror to the ship. Yes, I did get the sense that killing God was kind of a surprise to all of them. Yeah. Uh, you and me but, both. <laughs> like I said, I, I put some tendrils out there. I did some talking. We don't have any members of the slain church aboard the ship, which is quite fortunate. I, I have been aboard very few ships that didn't have some loyalty to the church. So in that, the Uhuru is an anomaly and quite a useful one. I, I think more than anything, there are some of them that are surprised that the slain god lived in the first place. You didn't need to do that, but thank you. Well, I am on this ship at your invitation, so I will confess that my acts were not entirely selfless, but I have developed an affection for the two of you, even if I do regret it from time to time. Yeah, you're going to be getting a whole lot more of that. Just pretty much nonstop regrets, especially with Travis, you know, just on and on and years and years of like, oh, why did this happen to me? Ah, I know exactly I know exactly why. Oh, that's what I I see. I was going to say I know exactly why things happen to me because of the the way I behave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is good that you are starting to put those two things together. 
Uh, speaking of regrettable things, though, I did just come from a conversation with your captain, and he is not much of a talker, and I can say that with some confidence as I am definitely something of a charmer, and he didn't open up to me. I was able to feel a certain amount of frustration and emotional distress. He did pen this for you. And she does that sort of gesturing to the room. All of you. And Mm. I decided to take it here to be the bearer of bad news because at least I would be a friendly face to give it to you. Okay. Well, thanks. You want to hang out? Read it with us? Sure, I'm not doing anything. Oh, cool. Is there a time limit on this this one, or can we... Uh, I'm on a break, so, <laughs> you know. I'm not going to do anything for you apart from... Oh, no, I meant on, on like, the letter. Here. On the letter, is it like, oh, you got to read this by tea time? You know, I, timed letters. I mean, it's information. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's information that you might want to know, but it's not going to disappear. Okay. It's not a Snapchat. Yes, because you look at it and it goes away. And if I didn't remember it, but if Again, I tried to I, save it, then they would know that I saved you've, it. You've pitched me on it before, and I, it sounds overly complicated, and I can't imagine it being used for anything good. I just don't think you should pursue it. I just think it's fun and cute sometimes. But anyway, um, sure. Do people still use it? Yes, young people, small people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big, my hands. <laughs> the the amount of like completely crushed iPhone XRs that Gable probably will go through at some point in their immortal life. Just, I can't use it. That's why I like my BlackBerry. It's got a keyboard on it. <laughs> Margaret, would you would you care to read it for us? Oh, oh yes, I could. Uh, do a dramatic reading. Uh, Margaret will unfold the missive. <clears throat> My body is not yours. Oh. And there will be restitution. Very intimidating. Well, that's it? That's all? He had a shaky hand while he wrote it, and this isn't the first piece of paper. It took him a while to create a scrawl that he seemed satisfied with. It seemed as though he was making a great deal of effort. And Travis, I know that you're the type of person to keep very complicated relationships. And the story that you told me about your captain and the island and your ruse and all those things, it was impressive. Uh, But I will admit, I did not imagine there was this much emotional resonance underneath all of it. When I tied the connection between you and your captain during the Mariner attack, I 
got the sense of what is going on really for the first time. And I think this relationship is going to take some work. Yeah, well, that's unsurprising considering he did lift me up by my hair and then cut my hair off and I thought he was going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to want to kill you, though. And I, I have news. to admit, I would if I were in his position. Uh, you know, and to to be fair, I wouldn't say that we were ever friends, you know, before the whole um, him dying thing. But I do think we got pretty close after the fact. What was his opinion of you before? Well, I can't say for certain, but I would assume, you know, very high. The landing party that you described to me, it sounded as though you left with the captain and his closest inner circle. And for some reason, Gable and you. Jonnet, I, I gather that you were there as well. And Dref? Uh, he's over there on the table. No, Travis he's here. To- That's neither here nor there. You were all a part of this landing party. Uh, it's surprising to me, especially if you can't tell where you stood with the captain before then. Why would he take the people that he trusted most in the world and you? Well, it's it's either it's one of two things. He thought we'd hit it off, so figured why not, or cannon fodder, or some combination of the two among the four of us. Dreff had asked me to go. Interesting. Is is I, there a reason why? I think he knew more than he was letting on. Hmm. And Dreff trusts you, or trusted. Past tense, yeah. Jonnet, you were saying? I knew the captain had an inner circle. I wanted to see what you guys got into. There was a landing party and, you know. Well, actually, hang on. If we're, if we're gaming this out, how would a landing party work with the Uhuru? Because normally we would we would land like with birds and things like that. It feels like. Like how would Yeah, I don't I don't think this was done with birds. Right. Uh the other way that we know people like sort of descend from the ship is through essentially zip lines, yeah. like Nodos does. Nodos will throw down a spear and that spear will plant and then he will sort of slide down that. Okay. For this landing party, I kind of imagine maybe they lowered a crane with supplies or whatever to the island that they were landing on. And I kind of feel like Jonnet might have like hidden himself there. Where look, uh for better or for worse, the Uhuru has a kind of a hard time keeping track of its inventory. I think that might be a quartermaster's sort of issue, but it worked getting on the ship. I was able to slip in, and it worked getting onto the landing party. I slipped in a box. I had I I hid until I stopped feeling rumbling, and I figured we were on dry land. So 
what we know is the captain went on this landing party and he took Travis and he took Dref and Dref took Gable. Oh my God, is that cat yeah. coming through? It's very cute. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. This uh, Gable takes a cat out of their coat. I'm sorry. This is my new cat. <laughs> Oh, your pocket it's a cat. Stick short hair. My pocket <laughs> cat. It's a tuxedo. His name is Ch- Charlton. Uh, Charlton. And I love it. Charles Charlton. And he's got a little fur on his chest right here that looks like a little bow tie. And Otto is not to get anywhere near him. He's just a regular <laughs> pocket cat. Doesn't talk or dance or sing or anything. I'll put it back in my pocket now. Goodbye. Shreep. So the captain took Dref, and Dref took Gable. The captain also took Travis, and Jonnet took himself, along with, of course, the rest of the captain's inner circle. And while you were there, the captain was betrayed. And you fought to save him? Of course. I, uh, when Calivar turned... I kind of figured it was time to stop hiding. So I joined in. And what about you, Travis? Was this another moment of dashing heroics? Well, I just like to bet on the winning horse. Well, it seems you got close to the mark, if not hitting it. This is why I feel this situation is complicated. If you had ambushed your captain and killed him and used his body as your puppet, I think he probably would have killed you. I certainly would have if I was in his position. Instead, you fought for your captain, and when he died, you still used his body as a puppet, which... Admittedly, if I was in his position, I still might have killed you. But I think there is something standing in his way. And what I can't unravel, because I know nothing of the practice of necromancy, is whether that is something existential or emotional. I don't know if the captain can't kill you, or doesn't want to kill you. Could you... Could you ask Dref? And Travis uh, gestures towards the heart. Yes, I could. Okay, will you? Dear, I am not working. Hey heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. We have a lot of exciting announcements this week, so let's get started. First things up, Skyjacks, Call of the Sky, the first volume of the soundtrack to Campaign Skyjacks, 
is going to be available to backers this week. Most likely tomorrow, but there is a chance it could go up sometime later today. I spent all of yesterday uploading the master tracks that we got to Arnie, to both Bandcamp and itch.io. I just need to figure out how to generate coupon codes and then send those coupon codes out to all of our backers. Uh, but as soon as I do that, everybody who backed the Kickstarter is gonna have the album. Now, if you happen to miss our Kickstarter for the album, don't worry. Next Wednesday, we're gonna make the album available to everyone to purchase. The post-Kickstarter prices for the albums are going to be a little bit higher, to be fair to our backers. Uh, so for the basic edition, the crew edition, that's going to be $20. And for the captain's edition, that includes all of the bonus songs and audio that was unlocked during the Kickstarter, that will be $40. But you are definitely getting your money's worth for both of them. The crew edition of the album has 10 tracks, including the fan edition of Call of the Sky performed by Arnie Parrott with all of the winning lyrics from the Skyjack's Call of the Sky lyrics contest. And the captain's edition has 24 tracks. I'm going to see what I can do about us figuring out community copies for uh, albums, but we don't have a plan in place for that yet right now. But speaking of all the excitement about the album coming out, uh, there's another exciting thing that happened. Arnie sent over the tracks for the album yesterday, and he included a track that I really hadn't originally planned on putting on the album. The track is titled Call of the Sky 2, uh, but what it actually is is an alternate arrangement for Call of the Sky that Casey uses for scoring the show sometimes. And I would love to give y'all access to this song on the Captain's Edition, but I'm thinking that's sort of a stretch goal that we really didn't hit. That's valuable. And right now, the One Shot Network is trying to make Georgia twice as nice. We're trying to raise $6,969 in order to support Fair Fight Action and the Senate campaigns of John Ossoff and Raphael Warnick. And so far, y'all are doing an incredible job. We're currently sitting at $1,949, and that's with about two weeks of fundraising and me not really offering any incentives yet. So, here we are. If you would like Call of the Sky 2... The sequel to Call of the Sky, not actually, it's just a different arrangement, to be added to the Captain's Edition of the album at no additional cost to the folks purchasing it, you need to help us hit that $6,969 goal. I'm not putting a time limit on this. Obviously, it has to happen sometime before the election in January, but if you can do it, you get a new song on your album for free. So heroes, if you'd like to help us make it happen, you can head to actblue.com slash donate slash GA69 to get involved in our fundraiser to hopefully flip the Senate blue and give ourselves a fighting chance at getting something done over the next couple years. Heroes, I know this is a long announcement section, but there's another important thing I have to tell you. Tomorrow, November 19th at 7 p.m., Arnie Parrott and I are going to be streaming a Q&A for Skyjacks and the album and really anything you might want to ask us. That'll be over on the OneShot Twitch page at twitch.tv slash OneShotRPG. I'll have a tweet up tomorrow that you can send your questions to, and you can also join us in the chat to ask us things live. I hope we get to see a lot of you there. 
Sorry for the late notice. We did not know that we were going to be able to drop the album this week. And we kind of wanted to do the Q&A after we dropped the album. And this is really our only opportunity to do it because of the impending holiday season. Once again, that is tomorrow, November 19th at 7 p.m. A huge thank you to our backers on Patreon. We could not make this show without you. I don't want to belabor the point because we have more episode to get to. Thank you all so much. We couldn't have made this show or this album without your support. Finally, if you're going to talk about the events of this week's episode on social media this week, be sure to use the hashtag SkyJackSpoilers. And if you're talking in Discord, be sure to use the spoiler bars. And as always, if there is anything you don't want the cast of Campaign Skyjacks to see, use hashtag UhuruCrewQuarters. Now with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I am not working. Uh, <laughs> how is it that twice now I have announced very clearly that I am not working, and yet I find myself in front of you with a very compelling reason why I should still work? Look, we've all been there. You know, I go out of my way to avoid working nearly constantly. <laughs> and yet I am still dragged into expedition after expedition. I'm constantly rescuing people. And it's just like, please give me one day to relax in my hammock. Just one day is all I ask. Mm. So I know where you're coming from. Well, Mr. Matago, I will say that I believe you are broke as far as we're concerned. I am taking from you about the limits of what I think I can take from a person with, like you without permanently doing something that you would not like. So if you are to pull me out of my vacation... I'll pay it. I, very sweet. I'll pay the fee. All right, then. I believe we can work together. Are you all right with uh, helping us out, Jonnet? Yeah, I'm down. Gable has very generously offered to cover the cost, and because I am on vacation time, it will be a hefty cost. Time and a half, I understand. <laughs> yes, indeed. You can't, you can't at least admit that you're a little interested in talking to a heart of a dead man. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, I have spoken to the dead before. Perhaps no dead so accomplished as the dear departed Dref. Uh, but I will admit to acquiesce to you, Travis, pretty much everything about you and your friends just gets more and more interesting in a truly mind-boggling way. <laughs> oh boy. And just you wait. If I ever die... And you try and talk to me once I'm dead, that's going to be a trip. I won't. <laughs> Who oh my would god. Want... Can you believe it? Oh, how f finally free. Oh my god. I just got to rush. <laughs> oh. Like oh, I, it's not, it won't I'm be that easy. It. it won't be that easy. Oh <laughs> god. 
I just got uh, I, I felt like I was floating in a balloon at the thought. Well, we are in a This flying. performance is somewhat diminished by the fact that you two have spent the last two days ensuring that you would be able to die together. Margaret, please. 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 <laughs> we don't have to say it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started then. Now then, things that you should know, I can help you contact him, but it is going to depend on you, depend on all of you, to supply the energy that I need for this spell. Communicating with the dead is difficult. Uh, In many cases, they are not the people they once were, and they don't hold the things that used to make them who they are, and it will be up to you in order to call them back to that previous life. Are you saying that there's a chance that we could talk to Dref, but it's not Dref? That's not exactly the case. Dref is no longer bound to a physical body. The needs and wants of a flesh and blood creature are different than a spiritual being. He could very much be the same man that he was, especially as I gather his death is quite recent, but uh, there is a chance that he will have changed in death. At that, you can see Jonnet kind of go a little inside of himself just at that realization. I, I don't want you to be afraid of it. Uh, for, for many people, this can be good. Uh, there are those in life who were obsessed with different things that made them very angry or, or fearful. In death, they shed those bonds. Though, if you were very attached to someone, and that person being a very particular way, there is a chance that that could change and I need you to be prepared for that because we don't want to lose the spell. And also be aware that the memories that you bring to the table are going to be very important. They are going to be what binds him here and helps your friend communicate. What I mean is that who Dref was in life is a person that you all hold inside yourselves. Who Dref is after death and who Dref is at his core is somewhere away from here. Or at least that's what it should be. I I don't know if they're unique circumstances. But in order to speak to someone who approaches who Dref was in life, you will need to be able to hold that here. There's no body to come home to. Your memory is all that is left. Does that make sense? Yeah. Margaret places a comforting hand on Jonnet's shoulder. Then let's begin. Margaret starts lighting candles and arranges them around Dref's office. In the meantime, she says over her shoulder to you, Try to gather possessions that might have been important or or symbolic of your friend and place them in the middle of the room. I know we're cramped for space. The greatest focus that we have should be his heart, but anything else that you might remember about him might be helpful. So 
with this, yeah, I wonder what everybody's going to put down. I think Jonnet goes to one of the back cabinets or shelves in the room, and I think there's like a box in there that he he grabs it, he opens it up, and it's got a couple different like just sparsely laid out just tools, and he reaches in and he pulls out a pair of tweezers and he puts the box back in and the shelf and he holds it up. He's like, I remember Dref let me fix the captain once. It was actually really, really, really gross. But when his cheek <laughs> uh, started coming undone and you could start to see his teeth and then <laughs> hang on one sec. And then John, and then John, just like lurches. Okay. No, we're good. <laughs> okay. You could see his teeth and he let me, hold the, his his skin back while he patched him up. Afterwards, he said it was really nice to have a helping hand. Uh, it, was, it was really nice. He puts it down. Are we putting things down like in the center? Or? Yeah, yeah. Put put them down in the center. There There is a stool that's kind of been ah. set up in the middle of the room. The Margaret has placed the heart on top of the stool as she is arranging candles around the room. Very good. If it's something that is connected to a memory between you both, even better. I just thought of a, th- a thing that might be fun, but tell me if it's too like gross or weird. <laughs> <clears throat> is it possible that Dref would like study Travis's transformations? So would kind of do like almost like a like a live vivisection on him right before Ooh, mm. he transformed to oh. see like what happens. Um, okay, so this is interesting. Um, we one thing that we know about Dref is that he was afraid of blood, right? And and did not like that. And the goopening that accompanies your transformation was something that did specifically horrify him. Uh, that said, there was a conversation between the two of you uh, that has been on the show where where Dref talked about being interested in you know a- experimenting with the transformation of a changeling. I believe the thing that he referenced was like, you know, I could modify your hand and we could see what happens when you transform if you're going to have this modified hand or not. So like, I don't know that Dref would have gone in for vivisection, Mm -hmm. um, but it does sound to me like Dref might have been interested in, you know, some sort of study. Okay. Well, Dref always considered me a bit of a novelty, which I would say is rich coming from him. And he liked to study my transformations. And I did save his notebook of observations. I love that this is like, yeah, Travis places it down next to Jonnet's tweezers and and the heart. And I I love how kind of solemn a, a bit of remembrance that is when what must have happened because we do know that the transformations that Travis went through made Dref queasy so for each one of those it must have been you in the room with Dref as he's like I'm good I'm good we can keep going and just constantly vomiting the entire time 
That's just and a delightful thing that I can't Travis stop definitely about. being like, oh, this is this one's rough. This one's I can feel the extra blood and goop in this one. Oh, no. My spleen. <laughs> uh, great. What about Gable? For stitches, this is probably a time period in which we use cat gut, correct? Yes. Okay. Gable goes over to a cabinet. And I assume everything is still quite as organized as it was prior to Dref's death and pulls out a length of cat gut and whatever is on it to preserve it, takes a length and cuts them off and then ties it into a very simple sort of sailor's knot. And they put it on the table. When Dref came to us, he had to overcome his own peculiarities to fulfill his duties. And we disgusted him, and we horrified him, and a crew of pirates assuredly didn't do a whole lot to help him feel more comfortable. But he always did what he had to do, and he always helped us. Hold him firmly in your mind. Think about the whole of him, the most distinct parts of him, the parts of him that were closest to you. And now I invite you to join hands. Margaret grabs the hands of the two folks next to her as she has finished lighting the candles around the room. Although the dancing light of the candles is present, as you complete the circle of hands, the room feels as though it's gone darker. As though shadows have been pulled into the room, and the gentle flames of the candles are the only things preventing you from being truly sealed in darkness. There is nothing that you can see in the room apart from the light of the candles and each other's faces and the objects that you have arranged in front of you onto a small stool. It appears as though they float in darkness together now. Are you with us, Dref Wormwood? Dref. I was Dref for a time. Hey heroes, we are still editing the last batch of Dear Uhuru segments and we'll have one available for you next week. I wanted to take this time to let our Patreon backers know that we're going to be requesting a new batch of Dear Uhuru questions soon. I'll put up a new post on the Patreon with a new password uh, and a new option for you to send in Dear Uhuru prompts. That new option is one I'm really excited about. 
you will be able to send in premises for Skyjack's public service announcements. Uh, so think the end of G.I. Joe and Transformers cartoons where the cast of the show sort of taught people a moral lesson. Uh, you will get to make our cast do that, and I'm just so very excited about that. Uh, I'm going to be writing that up and sending that out sometime this week. But I figured, uh, since we don't have a dear Uhuru for this week, I would give y'all a Tales from Thornvale. Our younger sibling show, Skyjack's Courier's Call, is nearing the end of its first season. And I think they had a tremendous first season, and I would love it if more of our listeners went to check them out. Some of you might have been put off by the idea that it's an all-ages show, and you think Skyjack's is so cool and spooky. Uh, how could I possibly enjoy a show for kids? So I'm giving you the spookiest tales from Thornvale. Hopefully you listen to this and realize how good that show is and how much you've been missing on it. So give this a listen and I hope you check out Skyjack's Courier's Call. Welcome back to the firelight, my friends. Please come on over and pull up a seat. We're just about to get into another story. All right. Everybody comfortable? Good. So... After our last thrilling adventure, who has a story they'd like to tell? Maybe something dangerous. Something a bit, maybe, spooky. If it's all right with you, Coriander, I would like to believe I have a tale that would fit your description. Why, Captain Foxskull! Everyone, may I present to you Captain Molden Foxskull of the Black Aldrin. Captain Foxskull, you have a story for us? If you would permit me. Of course, of course. The fireside is yours. With your consented acceptance, I humbly will feel your role, good sir, a storyteller. Mm. Do you feel that, my dear hearts? That tingle in the air, the anticipation, the expectancy. What will I say? What will I tell you? There is magic in stories, my friends. In this place, this humble fire we have gathered at, is steeped in that magic. Greetings. As your esteemed patriarch has said, I am captain of the Black Audron, but you need not see me as such at this moment. You may simply see me as Mulden. Now, that's not my real name, obviously, but then again, so few people actually know their real names. So, yes, I think Mulden will do for now. I have for you tonight a tale... Of magic aboard the Black Aldrin. It is indeed, as Coriander has asked, somewhat dangerous, but then danger is one of the many faces of the arcane. As a great wizard once told me, to study magic, one must accept that all things that can be held true are true. There is power in will, story, and the bones of sphere itself. It can be claimed, but never owned, shared, but never stolen, used, but never conquered. The tale I wish to tell you is one that happened to me uh, several years ago, back before I was captain of the Black Audron. At the time, I was the Audron's star watcher under Captain Chantilly Segal. It was in my, oh, goodness, my early twenties, having just finished a stint as an all-courier to a place known as Astra's Hollow. I was very excited at the time to be back aboard the Black Audron and eager to show Captain Segal all that I had learned since I had been an apprentice. Now, our story begins when we had left our second location on our route, when Captain Segal called me and the quartermaster, certain Felixty Betts, to her office. 
where she informed us that we were to make an emergency stop for a most unusual parcel. She told us that when the parcel was to be brought on board, only myself and Felicity were to touch it, that we would take turns sitting with it, alternating our time until we could deliver the package. We were not even to speak of the parcel to the rest of the crew, or even to look at it. You can imagine my curiosity. We could not even look at it. We could not talk about it with the rest of the crew. I was bursting with questions, but the captain made it strongly known that this was not a mission to be taken lightly, nor to even be asked about. We landed the Audrin in a field about a day later. Captain Segal, Felicity, and myself flew north for several hours over dry, flat grasslands until we came to a single house in the middle of, well, nothing. Not a small house either, but a veritable mansion that stood dark and foreboding in a sea of waving grasslands. The captain commanded the two of us to stay aloft on our birds as she landed close to the house. From where we were upon our birds and as we circled, we looked and saw the captain enter the front of the house and then immediately exit it. But not from the front, no, 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 from the back door. It was as if she had stepped through one door and out the other in a single step. She returned to her bird and took to the sky and we followed her back to the Audrin. And there, in her arms, was a single parcel roughly about the size of a loaf of bread, covered in in a black cloth, tucked under her arm. When we returned to the ship, the captain ordered Flixer to make sure that all the crew were in the Avery, to keep them there while she took me and the parcel into the bottom of the ship. Now, we transport many things in the Black Aldrin, many of them dangerous, so we have a room, a single room, that we call the Locker. There are five locks, that adorn the outside of the locker. And inside, there are many small cupboards and cabinets, each of them locked, each of them specially made to hold many special and somewhat dangerous things. The captain led me down to the locker, and she opened the locks, in the order she always unlocked them in, and placed the black-wrapped parcel inside before hurrying out and securing the door again. When she finished, she turned to me and she said, Molden, you are to sit here and make sure no one opens this door. Can you do that? I said that she could count on me. And she took me by the shoulder and looked deeply into my eyes and said, I, Chantilly Segor, make my words heard three times. Do not open this door. Do not open this door. Do not open this door. And then she turned and she left. For hours I sat in front of that door. Passion the time by playing Starlight Parade with my luminary deck until I heard a knock. Not from the door to the upper decks, but from the inside of the locker. Now, at the time, I felt myself to be a fairly proficient sorcerer. I knew my sacrifices. I knew about blood and bone and breath the proper use of water, land, and sky. I knew several traditions and a handful of very useful stories. I even knew the best direction to stir helpful tea. So in this moment, I knew that when something knocks, you answer. But the question is how to answer. Do I open the door? Of course not. The captain had commanded me thrice, and I had heard her words, so I couldn't do that. 
but to not answer, there would be its own consequences for that. So I answered, who's there? And from behind the door, I heard the reply. Just recalling it now brings chills to my spine. It didn't knock again or ask anything. But I didn't put my back to that door the rest of the day I stood watch. Come nightfall, Felicity took my place. They went about my duties as Star Watcher. For the life of me, I could not get the sound of that voice out of my head. And everywhere I went on the ship, I heard. Even in my sleep, always the knocking. More than one of the crew came and asked if something was wrong, but as per the captain's orders, I said nothing. And even then, everywhere, in the galley, on the crow's nest, wherever, the knocking. Come my shift at watch the locker. I headed down, and what do you think I found? Nothing. Felixity was gone. I checked the locks, all secure. I looked for her everywhere in the hold. There was not a trace. I rushed topside into the captain's cabin as I flung open the door. There sat Captain Segal and Felicity, sharing a cup of tea over a quiet conversation. At first I was relieved to find that she was safe, but as I questioned Felicity as to why she had deserted her post, something curious began to become clear. She didn't remember. In fact, she had no recollection at all that there had ever been a mysterious black-clad parcel, or that we had even flown all that way to that deserted house in the middle of nowhere. I looked to the captain for support, but she was likewise. She did not remember either. She'd never heard of this parcel. I tried to explain, be more blunt, more efficient and direct in what I was saying, but the more I tried, the more concerned they looked. I tried again and again to explain. There had been a parcel, a black-clad one. We had flown to the place. We had brought it back. I was on watch. It had knocked and answered me. It had spoken. But behind their eyes, no recollection. At this point, I forced them to go down to the locker with me and to open it. And when we did, there was nothing inside. Only a single scrap of black cloth laid in the middle of the room. The captain ordered me to take rest for the day, and though I tried to, the memories that had seemed to evaporate from the, my crewmates clung to me like droplets of water on a pane of glass. We never found that parcel, and no one ever remembered that it had ever been there but me, and now you. And maybe, after all this time, I really did just dream it, or maybe it was just a, a trick of some malicious lumen, or... but every now and again, when I am alone, and quiet and at peace, when the remembrance of the house in the sea of grass and the dark-clad parcel begin to slip from my mind. I hear it again. Well, uh, thank you, <laughs> Cat and Fox School, for that, uh, most interesting story. Don't mention it. Seriously, don't. I'm not sure what will happen if you do. 
And on that note, I think we should all head up to the house for a break. In a group, uh, with a couple of lanterns, probably. Uh, maybe singing a few songs before we can uh, come back to another tale. <clears throat> As you wish. Come, my dear hearts. Nothing will harm you. Not while I'm around. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @campaignpod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at oneshotpodcast.com. Like Asians Represent. Asians Represent celebrates Asian creators and diversity in the gaming community. Join hosts Agatha Chang and Daniel Kwan as they discuss gaming, genre, and representation with their guests and occasionally argue with each other about the sound of Agatha's beloved Airhorn app. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y. P-O-N-E-Y, or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter, at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends near to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.